This podcast is sponsored by the fabulous Tuk Tuk UK, the UK's largest importer of Tuk Tuks. If you want a Tuk Tuk or anything Tuk Tuk related, Tuk Tuk UK is the company to speak to. They love talking Tuk Tuks as much as I do. You're listening to stories of discovery and adventure from Adventures in a Tuk Tuk. Hello and welcome to another story of discovery and adventure. Today my guest is Marcus Andre Mayer. Marcus is a social media manager, blogger and adventurer. Over the last 13 years he has travelled over 27,000 kilometres, mainly on Vespers and Tuk-Tuks on three continents. He's lived and worked in five countries and has travelled to more than 50 countries. He holds the unofficial world record for travelling around the world in 80 days on a Vespa and earlier this year he drove his 50cc Piaggio Ape Tuk-Tuk from the Algarve in Portugal to Munich in Germany in just 21 days. He loves coffee, sushi and sunsets. Let's meet the man himself, Marcus Andre Mayer. Hi there, how are you doing? All right, you're, uh, you're almost famous now, aren't you? For going very slow. Yeah, I'm, 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 usually I was going very fast, but this time I decided to do it the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> It was, um, I, I followed you from the beginning. It was, it was an extraordinary event. I, I know I'm, it was good. I just thought I, I'd tell you that. At the I, beginning. I, I totally loved it. It was not planned at all like that. Um, I was basically just improvising because I didn't have time to really, uh, prepare the tuk-tuk. I didn't really have time to prepare any of the trip properly because it was just a spontaneous, uh, idea to do it like that. After your trip around the world in 80 days, you went to Portugal and the Algarve, didn't you? And that's yes. where that's where the Ape came from. Exactly. I actually bought that tuk-tuk after I arrived in, in Portugal. I was received by the Vespa Club Algarve. And yeah. I asked the guys if they would know if I can get in, in Portugal and in Spain, they call it motocarro. If I can get the motocarro, like a tuk-tuk there, to move around, to go shopping, to do my mm. my laundry and things because I had a big truck and I had my Vespa and both were not suitable to do like transportation of stuff in the city limits. Yeah. Because with yeah. one, I couldn't find a parking and with the other one, I couldn't carry anything. So I said, I took the group be perfect. <laughs> and one of the guys says, oh yeah, my neighbor said something. He wants to sell one. He said like a hundred bucks or something. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's awesome. Where is, where, uh, where is he at the moment? And he said, he's probably just getting wasted in a bar. Let's go there directly. And, and that, that's, that's quite a usual thing in the Algarve, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> they sit there, drink a lot of wine, and have a good time. Exactly. Portuguese wine is delicious. Portuguese I'm, coffee is some of the best in the world, I think. It is. It is. Absolutely. Mm, I enjoyed yes. living there a lot. I was living there nearly three months in my van. Okay. It was a beautiful time, and I was living on the, on the, on the grounds of a friend. Yep. And then we, we got the, the tuk-tuk on his grounds, and uh, I left back to Germany after three months. Mm. Um, basically left the tuk-tuk untouched because I couldn't get around to, to clean it up, to make it, get, get it running, because it was not running at that time. It was yep. forgotten 15 years in a campground uh, of a farmer, and uh, nobody touched it. So the last insurance paid, there was a little 
little ticket on the in the tuk-tuk in the window that said yeah. last time insurance was paid 2005. So since that moment, it was forgotten on that farm. Did it take much to get it going? I had to take out the, the tank, the carburetor, clean everything up, put, put a new spark plug. There was a short circuit somewhere in the system. I let, uh, let an, an, a mechanic, there was an, a mechanic at two kilometers from the campground. I let him look for it because electrics is just not my topic. I, I absolutely yeah. detest electrics. It's so a I said, you should look is. for that. Yes, yes. It's a yeah. bit special because the Italians had all the circuits not on uh, exactly the other one way around. You would usually find it in a car. So if you wire it like a normal car, it will not work, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it, sounds about normal. it sounds normal for an EPE, I think, or anything, you know, just... Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, a car is wired wrong. That's what I would say. Yes, and yes, an yes. EPE is wired correctly. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's absolutely crazy how they did the whole electrics thing. It's way yeah. too many cables for that small vehicle because basically the EPE 50 is nothing else than a three-wheeled Vespa PK50. The motor yeah. is exactly the same. There's not uh, anything else than just the blinkers. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, the, the backlight is double, the only thing that's different. Otherwise, there's the same amount of lights, the same amount of everything. So there was no no need to do the wiring different than on the Vespa, but for some reason they did. Oh, well, that's just uh, some mad Italian. Exactly. That's, that's what... <laughs> so you went back to Germany. Um, yeah. Was that what you wanted to do or did you have to do that? Or? No, it was, um, I was, uh, I fell in love with a German woman. In the end, it did not work out, but I, I tried to live in Germany again for yep. uh, four months. And then I decided to do some more studies. Now I've been in Germany for one and a half years again, uh, doing some certificates for social media, for marketing, upgrading a bit my CV. And uh, then my friend from, from Portugal called me and said, look, uh, I got a problem. My, my wife got a, a, a stroke. So okay. I have to go to Germany. We can't stay in Portugal. And I have no idea when I will be able to go back to my, to my ground, grounds there, to my, to my house. So everything is open there. Somebody could steal it or it just could be locked away for years if you don't come and get it. Okay. So, so I jumped into the next plane. Yeah, I jumped yeah. into the next plane to get it back. Uh, I, I took it on a campground that was like on a campsite, official campsite, about three kilometers away. So I cleaned up the carburetor so it got, it was at least working with a big, big cloud of white smoke. I drove these three kilometers to the campsite and yeah. I told the, the, the lady who owned the campsite, Coco, a French lady, I told yeah. her, I will come back in three weeks. I pick it up in three weeks and she was probably not even believing that I come back ever. And yeah. we agreed on a price <laughs> for the parking. Uh, and I flew back to Germany. I had four days to prepare that, to clean it up, to bring it to the campsite and fly back. Then I had some, I had to, to give a travel presentation in a museum in Germany. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, I flew back to Portugal again to pick it up and drive it home. So I did not have time to prepare anything properly Basically, the whole thing was improvised within 10 days or something. Some of the best adventures are, that's the way to start them, isn't it? Not a, <laughs> not a lot of planning and you just do not know what's going to happen. Exactly, exactly. Yes.
So the route north through Portugal, uh, sort of hugging the coast, was that planned? Yeah, I actually had the idea that I, I want to see the whole coastline, the, the, the Atlantic coast of Portugal and Spain, because I didn't know that area very well. All okay. Everything above Porto was unknown to me. I have I've been living in, in Lisbon for a while. I have been once traveling on a Vespa along the coast there a bit. But everything above Porto was basically new to me and I wanted to see it because everybody told me that it's breathtakingly beautiful. And I knew the rest of the peninsula. I knew the whole side on the Barcelona side, Valencia. I knew the whole coastline of Spain. Mm-hmm. But this, this northern, northern part of Spain was completely new for me. Okay. And uh, so I said, I want to travel as far as possible along the, the coastline of the Atlantic into France. And then yeah. at some point, just turn land inwards towards Germany. Did you go, did you go across the Pyrenees? Uh, no, no, I, uh, that was the point. I also wanted to follow the coastline to avoid as many mountains as possible because I, I left the tuk-tuk basically in original condition. So no mm. tuning, no, no uh, power kit or anything put there. I had some with me. I had yeah. actually a complete cylinder kit and everything with me to, to have uh, 115 instead of 50 cc. So to double the, the horsepower, to double the, the output of, uh, of power. In case yeah. I would have to go over mountains or in case something breaks. But yeah, 50, 50 cc is not a lot to go over the tourmalade, is it? No. Basically, everything that is above 10, 15% uh, of, of, I don't know, what's the name? When you go up no. the hill, more than 10 or 15%. Gr- gradient. Gradient, yes. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. you're in the first gear and the motor is screaming at you and you're not moving. It's you're like at seven kilometers per hour and you're screaming like in a Formula One race car. I think above Porto, it does get quite uh, hilly or lumpy, doesn't it? There are yes. some big mountains. Yeah, there's um, basically the coastline is up and down all the time from one mm. bay to the next. You always have mm. to go over mountains, but it was still relatively harmless to the really big mountains in the Pyrenees or the Alps. So that's why yeah. I also didn't dis, uh, didn't want to go over Italy. I could have crossed over and, and left uh, Spain towards Barcelona and followed the coastline of Italy. But mm-hmm. then at some point I would have to, had to cross the Alps as well. So I, I tried to avoid that too. I had invitations to go to Italy, but I, I, I didn't dare to. <laughs> my guest today is Marcus Andre Mayer. He is a Vespa maniac and he is my star guest today on Adventures in a Tuk-Tuk podcast. Is, is Italy your spiritual home, do you think? Uh, no, actually it's more Spain. Right, right. I've been living in Spain for several years in, in down the Costa del Sol near Malaga. Right. And I'm, uh, they received me very well. The Spanish and the Portuguese clubs, they received me like, uh, yeah, you cannot imagine. Yeah. They treat you like a king. You come there with right. a Vespa or you with, a, with a Tuk-Tuk and they treat you like a king. We have similar interests, I do believe. I, I, th- I think so too. I actually just <laughs> met a real tuk-tuk, like the one that you have in your p- photo, like a okay, bajaj tuk-tuk. I yep. met just on a ride out just 20 minutes ago. Okay, who, who was that? A friend from, a, we, have a, we have a scooter shop here in town, and he got a, a friend, he bought a tuk-tuk in Hamburg, and he also went home. Uh, on 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 his own wheels from Hamburg down to to Munich where we where I live so about yep. 800 kilometers tour 
yeah. with a yeah. Bajaj 200 tuk-tuk, the four-stroke model. Oh. Okay. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, there are quirky nutters who want to drive them. That's all I can say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I totally so, loved his interior. It was like really like uh, uh, gold with uh, really painted in it and really nicely decorated in it. Not uh, like minimalistic, like the Diape. This was yeah. like really artistic. Uh, it was like a taxi type of tuk-tuk. Uh, how old was it? I have no idea. I have to ask him. We yeah. we talked just briefly because they went yeah. for the garage to, to fix another Vespa. We didn't have much time. Traveling up through or above Porto, did it live up to expectations? You know, did you did you really enjoy that trip? It was actually a lot more beautiful than I expected. It was breathtaking. Seriously, I was going to Finisterre, the so-called end of the world. Yep. And I sat there with a big plate of, of mussels and a fresh beer watching the sunset. I could have stayed there a week just staring yeah. down onto the sea. Yeah. It was so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I saw that picture. I did. How many miles a day were you? did you feel you had to do? Or did um, you want to do? The, the planning for me was... Uh, about 150 kilometers, that would equal like 100 miles, more or less, a day. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's a good distance. Yes. But uh, in the end, uh, in Portugal, I did quite often a little less because I was invited to the clubs and they showed great hospitality. And, and, and the Spanish clubs as well, even they, they gave me gifts like a tattoo. And uh, uh, like in Portugal, they tattooed me and, and in Spain... They gave me a moped they put on the roof of the tuk-tuk. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if they wanted to slow me down or if they really <laughs> wanted to make me a nice gift. Uh, to, uh, it was a, probably a bit of both. They wanted to see if I managed, I guess. <laughs> France, how was that for you? Oh, that was actually not very pleasant. Uh, the drivers in France are pretty reckless. Uh, they don't mm. take a security distance. They... Uh, Twice I got nearly um, crashed by cars. So I, one really got uh, directly straight at me uh, on a down slope. I, I ran down a hill, but 60 kilometers an hour, like mm -hmm. 40 miles or something an hour. And he came towards me and swerved into my, my lane. I nearly had to crash into the ditch to mm -hmm. avoid a, a frontal crash with him. Another time a truck nearly took me, uh, took me under his trailer so it was really, really tense. The driving there was really tense. People were not friendly. In Spain and Portugal, a lot of people showed me the, the thumbs up and they were cheering. Some people yeah. actually gave me la ola. They ran out of bars to cheer to me when I was going through their village. Yeah. It was incredible. The, the ambience, the feeling. When you come away with a tuk-tuk, little kids start to wave. Uh, everybody's do. smiling. It's just very friendly usually. But in France, it was nothing of that at all. Have you spent much time in France? I tried to get through actually in when I, when I noticed how the, the, the feeling is, I tried to get home as quick as possible. I didn't spend that much time. It was a few days okay. only because um, I also had kind of a deadline. I wanted to make it like in three weeks, the trip. Yeah. I managed in 22 days in the end. I, I, I finished my trip after 21, 22 days. I arrived in the evening of day 21. I arrived, but then I included day 22 because I had to take a COVID-19 test yeah. before I went home. I live in a, in a small flat in the house of my family, and I didn't want to risk them to get infected or that I bring anything home. And safety was my main 
main uh, priorities. So I directly went into a testing center and got myself a test and yep. received the results actually the same day uh, in the evening. So they were really quick. It was really yeah. fast and it was easy. Uh, they just took the test and everything was good. So, mm -hmm. But we also took precautions throughout the whole uh, trip. All the clubs, everybody met me with social distance and uh, security measures. The masks were, mm -hmm. were worn. There was not the usual hugs and, and the kisses on the cheeks as is usual in these parts yeah. of the world. Yeah. We yeah, completely okay. avoided all of that and uh, just took it very, very relaxed and with distance. I believe you were wild camping most of the time? Half-half, basically. Half-half. Um, okay. Because the clubs went as far as paying hotels for me sometimes. Fantastic. So they really showed all levels of hospital. They had clubhouses where they hosted me. And when they didn't have the facilities, they sometimes bought a, a hotel room for me or a campsite. Mm. Um, I also slept uh, somewhere in the forest in uh, in a hunter's cabin or in in some um, how do you say the industrial park somewhere yeah. behind the production area. I just found a spot yeah. uh, of of nice grass and slept there or somewhere in the forest, just splendid. You do love wild camping, yeah? Yeah, I do that a lot actually. Uh, during my Vespa trips, before I did that most of the time, it's just uh, for example in 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 France, I had often Hotel prices are up to 90, 90 euro, 70 to 90 euro or more. And I just, yeah. that's not in my budget. I, I can't yeah. afford that for a trip like that. And mo my trips mostly take long. Yeah. I had trips that take three or six months and you cannot stay in hotels all the time. It's just not, it's out of the question. This show is sponsored by Waterside Calligraphy. Beautiful writing brought to life on the page. The, so I think it all sort of began in 2014 for you, didn't it? When you uh, sort of yeah. went went off in your 30-country uh, epic voyage on your Vespa. Yes. Uh, what, what inspired that? Uh, I was having um, – I was single at that time. I had my bank account properly filled, and then I felt that my job is not fulfilling, and I needed a timeout. I needed a break. So yeah. I, I, I quit my job and I just said, okay, half a year, I will not look for another job. I just go and travel a bit with my Vespa and have a look at every capital of Europe. Mm -hmm. And by coincidence, I also made a little trip over to Africa and traveled a few days uh, in Morocco. During this where, did you go, where did you go in Morocco? The northern part, Chef uh, Shawen, uh, Tantia, Tetuan, uh, basically everything north uh, of the Atlas Mountains. Okay. I travel around there. Yes. And how was that? It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. The the driving is a bit creative, so uh, it's not so much about rules. It's uh, the 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 law of the strongest, I would say. Yes, survival. Um, yes, survival of the strongest, exactly. But uh, you can you get used to it. The only thing yeah. on the coast roads, there was uh, a lot of wind, which was a bit unpleasant with the Vespa. But I will have the same when I go the Wild Atlantic Way or uh, the NC500. It will be probably windy as well. Yeah. Very windy. Do, do you feel very free when you're just out on your trips? Absolutely. It's uh, the feeling of absolute freedom and what happens as well. I mostly travel alone, so I have the chance to meet a lot of beautiful new people. Yeah. Because I feel that when you travel in a group or with two or three, four persons, you talk to each other. You sit in the bar, you talk to each other in the evening. 
you spend time with each other, you focused on each other. But when you're yeah. alone, you're basically forced to communicate with others. Yeah. Absolutely. So you enter the you enter a gas station, you have conversation with strangers, you get invited into their house, you have yeah. drinks with them, you get to know their family, their stories, they show you beautiful. In France, I also had one situation where a guy actually I stopped in front of his house because he had some some sort of um, uh, how do you say uh, statues made from 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 garbage okay. there, and right. I, I was trying to take a picture. He was basically that was like a junkyard transformed mm -hmm. into art, and okay. I wanted to take a picture with my tuk tuk, and I placed it in front of the garage and I took some pictures, and in the same moment, this this elder man he comes in with his car. And um, he he waves to me and uh, I greet him and then he steps out of his car. He's, he run, uh, walks once around my, my tuk-tuk and looks at the moped on the roof. That caught his interest. And he wanted to know what it is. And I explained, yeah, it's a, it's a Spanish Moto Vespa, Vespino, it's a 50cc. And he was like, yeah, you get to follow me. He, he, he indicated me to follow him into his garage. So he opened his garage and it was a huge workshop so he basically, yeah. at some point, must have been the, the, the village mechanic for the motorcycles mm. or something. Mm. And the whole gallery on top was filled with old 50cc mopeds, mobilette, oh. uh, motobecane, all sort of old classic mopeds. Yeah. Um, it was like a, a treasure chest in there. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> you didn't want to leave, did you? I actually thought if there's still space in my, in my little outfit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think he was going to do with all these uh these vespers i think it was just his memories he he was yeah. about 85 maybe 90 years old i think it was his old memories he this is collection maybe his children will get it one day i hope that they appreciate it as much as he did because i think 99.9 percent .9 of people are good people definitely that's my experience people are always like well Weren't you worried or, or uh, of your personal security? Have you been robbed or attacked or anything? It's like not even threatened once. I, yeah. I traveled to 40 countries now on Vespa, five on the tuk-tuk now, and I have never been in danger by anything else than crazy drivers, animals, and uh, the, the forces of nature, but never by, by people that wanted to do harm to me or rob me or attack me not, not once after your six months in 2014 how did you feel when you got back to germany it's a bit of an emotional cold shower when you come back because you can not really express or share what you what you experience it changes you entirely it mm. changes everything how you look at the world how you feel it changes your life but you cannot uh, communicate it to others because no, they will not know what you talk about. They have not experienced no. that. You obviously had to go back to work and you had to sort of make some more money. Yes. Uh, so your life is now about channeling your in, into the next project? Yes, most of the time I just work as, as much as necessary to get my next project off the ground and yeah. I leave again. For me, that became a lifestyle. It's not a hobby. It's not uh, like holidays. It's a lifestyle yeah. right now. I noticed that you spent your 42nd birthday in Mongolia. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, basically on the, on the side of Mongolia. My, my last, my last um, 
the birthday during the 80 days of around the world was on a boat on the Caspian Sea, to be exact, on my way to Mongolia. Um, I came there in the evening, in the late night of um, 26th of July. And by coincidence, one of the guys who had a ticket for this ferry, the, in the ferry from Baku to Aktau, from Azerbaijan to Kazakhstan, over the Caspian mm -hmm. Sea, mm -hmm. is very special because they don't have a ferry schedule. The right. boat leaves whenever there's enough trucks on the boat. And when the captain says, okay, now we can go, the trip is paid for. Then they mm -hmm. leave, not earlier. So you have no clue you can stay there six hours or six days. Right. And I was, got very lucky because the, the boat I was supposed to enter was fully booked already. And mm -hmm. even me trying to bribe them with paying triple the price for a ticket didn't work. He just sh shrugged it away. He wasn't interested at all because... A truck pays them two thousand dollars, while a normal motorcycle pays them two hundred. So it was oh, not yeah. interesting for them at all. They, could, they couldn't even squeeze you in, no. No, there was no, no. They, they don't do that because the limit is not the space on the on the deck for the vehicles. The limit is the beds, and they cannot oh, okay. put more people than beds. We cannot sleep somewhere on right. the boat. Yeah, and so they didn't agree. But one of the guys that were there on a big motorcycle. He wanted to have one proper rest night in a hotel and went back to Baku because he had already waited for five or six days. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you have to stay in the harbor and there's basically just one big parking lot and everybody stays there at 46 degrees in the, in the boiling heat on this parking lot without shadow and wait for the boat. Yeah. And at some point, the, uh, the, the guy got sick of waiting because they, they tell you a, another story every day there. So basically, mm. nobody knows when the boat will leave, but everybody says when it will leave. They tell you just a story because uh, they don't want to lose their face by, not, by saying they don't know. That's the mm. part of the culture. Mm. And one guy eventually got sick, went back to Baku in the hotel and lost his bed to me. So I could celebrate my birthday on the boat with a lot of... Uh, international travelers who actually were from a lot of them were from Ireland, Scotland, and England. Yeah, uh, that were taking part in the Mongol Rally, like oh, a charity gotcha. event that yeah. takes part from London to Mongolia every year. And there was many of them on this boat. And did you manage to record? How did you? Are there stories just in your head, or did you write them all down? Because I believe you're writing a book. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of writing a book. I have here. A lot of notes. I'm That's working a lot on of it. notes. Yes. Uh, yes. And I'm working on it. It will be uh, hopefully soon ready. In a few months, I will be ready with it. But it's, it was very complicated for me to express a lot of my personal emotions and uh, sometimes very scary and, and, and dangerous moments on the trip. It took me a while to be able to sit down and, and put it into words. That was a so difficult you... thing for me. You didn't make an audio diary or did you record yourself on your phone or? Every night I actually took some notes either in audio or in, um, in some normal notes on the phone or I had uh, the entries of Facebook and some blog entries. I had all of it together. Mm. Uh, and every night I tried to have at least a half a page of notes for every day yeah. of the 80 days. Sometimes I fell asleep on the phone with, the, with my face on the phone in the tent <laughs> because I was so exhausted, but I still forced me to take some notes on every day. Because on that around the world in 80 days, you did a lot of mileage, didn't you? 
Uh, it was 250 miles a day was uh, my average. That's a, that's uh, a lot on a Vespa. Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. And it was mm. painful at some point after day 30 or 40, you basically don't feel your body anymore. Yeah. Everybody's always wondering, didn't your butt hurt? No, no, it was not about my butt that hurts. Everything is hurting. Yeah. So the, is that a moving time of, say, 10 or 12 hours a day? Uh, 12 to 16 is okay. more precise. Because you, you move like at, uh, at a speed of like 35, 40 miles an hour max and to cover the distance necessary with the brakes for uh, refueling, with the brakes for repairs, finding doctors, getting medicine because I got sick, I got injured, I had an accident, uh, handling my logistics, getting planes ready, ferry tickets, all of that on the go. You have to do that during the days. Like, so like in your breaks, when you're in a gas station, you don't have a break. You basically take your phone out and you work, communicate, uh, organize yourself. When you got to each country, did you buy a new SIM card or did you just use a German one? Uh, no, no, no. Um, on every country that I stayed more in three days, I got a SIM card. So by the end of mm -hmm. the trip, I was basically uh, feeling a bit like uh, Jason Bourne. You had like 16 <laughs> SIM cards, two passports, uh, the vehicle of the paper, like two uh, the only thing that was missing was a gun. Okay. I had everything with me, like James Bond, basically. <laughs> and a trail of bodies, I think. You didn't leave those behind, did you? No, no. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, no, I took the, care of that. I, I take it you were a fan of the Jason Bourne films. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? They're, they're real boy films, aren't they? So, yeah. Exactly. My guest today is Marcus Andre Mayer. He is a Vespa maniac. And he is my star guest today. I, now, like, I think it was inspired that you did your Around the World in 80 Days on three Vespers, didn't you? Because of yes. the shipping charges. And uh, I especially, you know, did you go to Australia? Because it is extremely difficult no. to get vehicle. vehicle. Oh, you didn't do Australia? No, for me, it was just having a full circle, like a 360 on the right. longest possible land road. So I wanted to rate, rate basically like the, the Ian McGregor and his long way around. I took yes. really the same route, just like a little longer than them. Right, okay. And I did it solely without a TV crew and 250,000 pounds of budget. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I, I just took a little different approach. Not because I, um, I probably, I would perfectly, perfectly use the 250,000 if they would throw it at me. Yeah, I know. I know. You'd <laughs> still walk camp though, wouldn't you? Yeah, that, that, that's not a lot of worth camping then, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's five-star hotel land, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I would have a, 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 like a, a blonde redhead and a, and a, and a, and a dark-haired uh, beauty yeah. in every hotel uh, sharing my company, probably. Uh, yes, yeah, so no, no, no one would talk to you, though. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, you had to go around the world, but you yes. said, I'm going to do it in 80 days. Exactly. I wanted to do uh, to set this historic mark to also be the fastest solo around the world on a Vespa. Mm. That was for me a challenge that I wanted to have uh, accomplished. And I set myself the goal. Nobody would have cared if I would have taken 100 or 120 days. The adventure would have been the same size, the same, yeah. would have been impressive anyway. But for yeah. me, it was important because I had three years of planning to achieve it. So for me yeah. personally, it was an important goal to, to reach. And in the end, I would have finished in 76 days and I had to wait three days drinking wine in Spain. <laughs> oh dear, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be red or white? 
mostly red. Mostly red. Yes. <laughs> well, they, do, they, they do make a very good bottle, don't they? Let's be honest. Yes, they do. They do. Uh, so if you, you get if a, you... a special tour in a, in, a, in, a, in a wine yard there and in a big um, bodega in Spain, yeah. and they showed me around in one of the biggest bodegas of Spain. Okay. And you, and you sampled, did you? Or did you, did you say no? I can't. No, no, no. I was, I was all in. I was all in. I sacrificed myself. One has to do the job, you know. They do absolutely. Yeah, they're well done. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. Um, do you have a favorite country so far? Um, like I said, for me, my uh, my second home is Spain. Mm. Definitely, the Portuguese really won my heart on this trip. I have yeah. to say, I, I've never in my whole life so far encountered a level of hospitality and friendliness by the, that, that was shown to me and the respect shown to me by the Portuguese Vespa clubs on this trip. It was just blowing me away. Uh, the Spanish also have an ex in extreme level. So these two countries really won my heart on this trip. And before I was already hooked with uh, living in Spain. So definitely uh, for overlanding, I have to say, I enjoyed my trip through the United States. I went mm. twice coast to coast in the United States. Mm. And you can think of the politics, whatever you want. And, I, at, and when I was younger, I was confusing politics with the people and the country. Okay. And you should never do that. Especially, you will probably get the confirmation by your friend who did the tuk-tuk trip through Iran. Mm. Uh, politics doesn't matter. The normal people are just lovely and hospital, show hospitality and they're friendly and they're caring and generous uh, mm. wherever you go. And mm. I had the same in, uh, in, in Kazakhstan and I had the same in the United States. Uh, but the landscapes for me, I love wide open spaces. So I, okay. I'm looking forward to do Australia one day because of that. Yeah. Yeah. But so far, because of the the yeah, the, the deserts, the canyons, the big wide open spaces, the United States was my favorite for overlanding. And the people that you meet along the way are even more fascinating, aren't they? They, they, they are just unbelievable, the characters that you meet. The, the thing is, when you start in, uh, to, to plunge into that sort of uh, adventure travel and overland travel thing, and those special vehicles, you real realize very quickly that there's always one guy that is more crazy than you. That is true. That is very, very true. It, <laughs> That's just a normal thing. Everything's been done, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Because I thought when I got me to it, no, no buggers gonna, gonna, has gone out there and done stupid things in a tuk tuk. But oh, oh they yes, have they been have. Going around the world with it on a Colosino. They did a lot of things. It's crazy what they did. Not only tuk-tuks, Vespas, skateboards, they move on all sorts yeah. of vehicles. I know. It's, and it's amazing. And, and the more I delve into it and research it, I'm talking to a guy in a couple of weeks' time who drove his tuk-tuk in Nottingham to India. Now, he did it. Uh, he went through, I think he went through Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, he did it in 2010. Uh, Absolutely got, amazing. Yeah, he got to the UEA. Or UAE, mm -hmm. uh, and then put it on a boat to India because it's just that's just yeah. the easiest way to do it. When you approach doing a talk, how do you approach uh, giving the talk? Do you just go through? Do you, do you pick out little points that, or particular moments in trips, or do you go through the whole trip? Um, with the the last time, for example, I was in a, in the Erwin Hümer Museum. It's like a, a camper museum 
one of the bigger producers for campers in Germany, and they have their own travel museum. So they told me that I have one hour to talk about the 80 days. And one hour is very, very little yeah. for an adventure of this dimension. So I just picked about, uh, um, what was it, like 100 pictures. Yeah. So two pictures a minute or something. And I just uh, talk freely. I don't make a, a, a fixed text. I don't learn anything by heart. I just go with them through the photos and talk to them as if they sit on me when on my kitchen table. Yeah. And tell them the little anecdotes of the things that happened to me. And I just take uh, take the, the, the order so... In the end, they, they traveled the world with me, but yeah. just the steps were a little bigger than, than usual. So I didn't yeah. take all the pictures. I have over 25,000 photos from my trips over the last six years. So yeah. it's impossible to show everything. You just take, take some that bring a little the, the feeling and adventure and show a bit of the dangers that you encountered and a little bit of the, the, the wide open spaces that I went through, like deserts, tundra in Siberia, the deserts in the United States, um, the the heat and the deserts in Kazakhstan and stuff. I showed them a bit uh, the difficulties that you encounter on the way and what you're confronted with, storms, animal attacks. And I just showed them uh, what made the trip special. Okay. I find either traveling on a Vespa or in a tuk-tuk, when you see some uh, something to take a photograph of, you can just stop, can't you? If you're in a Land Rover or on a bus, you can't stop. But yeah, the way we travel, you can just basically put the brakes on and get off the road and take a picture. On the 80 days, I basically, I really had to force myself to stop because I right. was moving at a, a, at a quite high pace. But with Tuk Tuk, I agree. I, the, the problem was for me that I was on a schedule to get home. I could have stopped every five meters to take a beautiful shot, especially in this area with uh, uh, Portugal, with the beautiful houses or northern Spain, where you have just beautiful buildings. In France as well, these little villages with the old farmhouses or the beautiful French mm. churches they have in the villages. You could mm. st stop every five meters to take a picture with your tuk-tuk. It's just you have to force yourself to get going <laughs> again because you could spend an, a day just taking pictures. Would you like to just roam about without uh, I any imagine. pace in life yes I mean, definitely def yeah you, you could definitely i um after the 80 days i decided that my next trips will not be fast paced anymore uh i will do more continents i have traveled four continents by vespa so far mm. and i will definitely do the last missing continents and i want to do south america and also new zealand or australia at some point and I will take my time doing that. I will not have them uh, travel there in a hurry because I encountered in 2014, I was not on a schedule. I was moving freely at my pace. I could stay one or two nights or four nights in a place. And it was just so much more pleasure than when you go on. The 80 days was, was not a travel. The 80 days was a challenge. Border control. What's your worst experience of being at a border? Uh I didn't have really bad experiences. I had one very long experience in Kazakhstan. Upon entering Kazakhstan, we stayed there about seven, eight hours. They got the dogs out to control every little bit of our underwear. Everything had to be unpacked. Uh, every bike had to be stripped down to the bones. Everything was controlled. That was very exhausting because we arrived there at six o'clock in the morning and I was leaving very, very late in the morning. 
And then I had to find still a hotel and till I got to bed, it was actually, uh, I was really exhausted, but I had no really bad experience. I didn't have to bribe anybody ever. I didn't really get in trouble. Uh, funnily on this trip now back home, I crossed the border to Switzerland. Um, I would say half legal. There was right. a border, border post on the mountaintop of a pass from France. And it said, don't cross border. Well, and I crossed. And I oh, was in, in Switzerland without a passport control or without actually being allowed to be there because we, I would have had to go to quarantine. So oh, I decided you had to... You had to quarantine for 14 days, would you? Yes, and I decided to just race through the night to get out on the other side before they notice. <laughs> <laughs> it would have put an extra what? So it, it wouldn't have been 22 days. It would have been more like 36, wouldn't it? So exactly. And it would have been very expensive days because a hotel in, in, in Switzerland Switch. is not exactly a cheap place to stay. So no, I decided to make a run of 365 kilometers, so like nearly 250 miles in one day with a 50cc tuk-tuk to get well out done. again in the and, night and you and you live to tell the story well done yes and, and of course they must have thought in in Kazakhstan they must have thought you were a drug dealer that's basically what they were trying yeah to yeah that, 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 that is my look that's just a normal thing that's, that's right <laughs> hmm. it seems to me if you were to come out of your house now and get on the Vespa you would sort of head uh west wouldn't you down France Spain Portugal that would that, that would be sort of your spiritual way down wouldn't it um Actually, I planned a trip for next year, maybe, on a 50cc Vespa. I would like yep. to do the, the four seas. The northern sea, the eastern sea, like on the north of uh, Germany, uh, then the, uh, the then Riga, Latvia, like Lettland, Lithuania, this, this area. Yep. And then going down to the Black, uh, to the Black Sea. Yeah. On the uh, on Bulgaria and, and Romania, this area, and coming over to the Adriatic, Adriatic Sea and the Mediterranean, and I wanted to do that on a 50cc, so like six and a half thousand kilometers, but also going low-paced, not too hectic, enjoy it. Maybe even doing it in gentleman style with a suit and tie, as yes. they traveled in the 60s, not like adventure outfit and 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 the whole body armor and gear just traveling in style. That would be something I would look forward to. I spoke to a chap uh, the other day called Neil Lawson who cycled uh, in Mongolia uh, nice. two or three years ago, but he did it in tweed. Like, exactly. Like they did. Yeah. Yes. That's what I talk yes. about. Exactly. Yeah. I love because, it. <laughs> because his, his son said, Dad, you dress, you dress in Lycra and you, and you ride a bicycle and <laughs> you're 50 and you look ridiculous. So he said, okay. I'll go to Mongolia and I'll try and I'll cycle in Tweed. And that's even more ridiculous, but it's brilliant. I love it. I totally love the idea. So La Vida Vespa in English to the Vespa life, I believe. Is that yes, correct? Is that how exactly. you see it? For me, and it's a lifestyle. It's not a hobby anymore. You go out and you just want to live a free, wholesome life. Is that correct? Exactly. So I move on the Vespa, but it's not just a matter of transportation for me. For me, it's uh, the Vespa world is a community that is like my second, my, my chosen family. Yeah. And I noticed that, especially now with the clubs, how they treat me when I see my, my friends from all over the world once in a, in a year, in the European Vespa days or the, the world Vespa days, I can meet mm. the club presidents from all several 
uh, countries that I've visited so far, they come together in one big event and it's just like a family family party, like Christmas. It has the same importance to me like Christmas. That is like also, I, I, uh, one of my statements is also write, eat, sleep, repeat. Yes. So for me, it's a continuous process. I just, uh, I will move as long as my body allows. I will move on two wheels or three wheels. Mm. I will explore. I will keep learning. I'm, like I said, I had nine months of, of studies now. The last nine months were full, for, full of studies. I just took this time out to do uh, a little reset. Mm. And uh, the rest is also, for me, money is not very important. Money is uh, just a vehicle to make my dreams come true. And I only work as much as necessary to fulfill my dreams. For me, money doesn't do anything for me. You measure life as? I measure life in, in, the, in the context and the people that I touch on the way. You're listening to stories of discovery and adventure from Adventures in a Tuk-Tuk. It's nice. great to have a local with you because yeah. they're, they're, they're the key to sort of unlocking the place sometimes, aren't they? Yeah. Because a tour, you, you know, you can, you can go to a restaurant as a tourist and you go as a local. It's two completely different things. You get different menus. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the tourist menu and the local it, menu. Yeah, it yes. was, it was uh, when, I, when I went into the bar to get my tuk-tuk, to buy the tuk-tuk, uh, the guy said he probably he, he told me he wants to sell it for a hundred bucks and we went there and he was standing in the bar a little drunk and uh, my friend the portuguese friend of mine goes to him and says oh so you want to sell your tuk-tuks and he's like yeah of course i want to uh what what do you think how much would you ask like about 100 he said you look over there's my german friend he wants to buy it okay tell him 200 <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you've been portuguese you'd have got it for 100 wouldn't you? it was it was still a bargain so i, I yeah. <clears throat> read without hesitation but uh, it was yeah. funny actually <laughs> right okay. how many vespers how many vespers do you have uh i have nine vespas two tuk-tuks and my mercedes i'm, I'm also actually at the moment considering a very small car like a Fiat Bambino, a 126 Bambino. Yeah. As a, so I, I, I can put a little trailer behind the Bambino, yes. put my Ape and the Vespa and go on a trip. I think that sounds like a marvelous plan. You could just live out of that, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And how did you navigate? Was that with paper maps or did you have a, a navigation mm -hmm. on your phone? I had a combination of uh, Google Maps, which yeah. uh, basically Susie Google, how I call her always, Susie Google screwed with me a lot of times. I ended up in, in places I never wanted to go a lot of times. But additionally, I also, on some of the countries that I stayed longer on the, on the borders, I bought classic paper maps. Okay. But sometimes the places you, di you didn't intend to go are fantastic places. Sometimes, yes. But for also on this trip, I had a few, uh, let's say, farm roads uh, uphill of a mountain, that are just used for uh, uh, woodworkers and, and trucks mm -hmm. uh, and, and a big farm trucks, they were not suitable for little Anita. So I ended up in places I really didn't want to end up. Okay. I nearly trashed her on several occasions. <laughs> she nearly flipped over uh, uh, or I drowned her nearly in a lake once. <laughs> right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but obviously you've lived to fight another day, haven't you? So it's, exactly. These, but these are the things you remember. That's the memories you make, of course. 
Yeah, it's not. It's if there's always... no complications there, you don't have a story to tell. Going from yeah. one hotel to the next is boring. It is. Weather? How was that for you? Any bad weather? Until uh, Bilbao or till till Santander, basically, till the north of Spain, I had mm. a lot of heat and perfect weather most of the time. And then weather changed a lot. And uh, in the area of Bilbao and San Sebastian, entering France, I had severe storms. The, there was uh, this giant waves coming in that the surface adore so much and the people stare on the beach walks. But it's not fun with a tuk-tuk because you're basically no. thrown left and right and left and uh, you're, you're fighting to stay on the road. Yeah, they, they don't take wind very well at all, do they? No, they don't. And, and with the additional moped on, on, the, on the roof, it was like a sail. <laughs> mm, yes, and, and especially a headwind. They really yes. hate headwinds. Oh, my well, God. From a sudden, I was not going at 47 kilometers per hour. I was at 20. And then you're, no, okay, no, no. you don't see it, but there must be some wind. Or no, it's yeah. going maybe upwards. Or the moon is on, on the wrong position at the moment. Everything influences them. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yes. Uh, so next year. So really, you'll you'll be working now for the next six months, and then when the weather improves, it's off on the the 50 cc Vespa for the. Four there will be some Germany. more. Mostly, I uh, I still have one one Vespa in Moscow that I had to recover. If everything oh, works out and I I'm allowed to enter Russia next year <clears> because of COVID, yeah, I will pick up first my Vespa from Moscow. Tell That's me about a, how you got. How did you get a Vespa from, how did you acquire a, a Vespa in Moscow then? There must be a story there. Uh, in the 80 days, I, I did it, like you mentioned before, on three Vespas to avoid the costs for transportation, uh, the Vespas from continent to continent. So to, to, to save costs on air freight, I left the Vespa in Vladivostok and right. put it on a truck back to Moscow, where some friends from Vespa Club Moscow are taking care of it at the moment. Right. Okay. So they host my Vespa and have to buy it back with some bottles of vodka, I guess. <laughs> so it would be a nice little trip to uh, drive yeah. it back from Moscow, wouldn't it? Um, actually, um, it's not that nice. Riding in, in Russia is extremely dangerous and difficult. Okay. Uh, I will probably uh, get the Vespa in a truck to St. Petersburg and just enter ferry and leave because I had 8,000 kilometers of Russia and I am very happy that I survived that, but I'm not keen right. on trying more no. of that. Not okay, so if not I like... don't have a Land Rover around me. <laughs> I think you could be buying a Land Rover soon. I'm, I'm getting that vibe. Yeah, there is something in the air that might be possible. <laughs> would you swap? Would you swap the uh, your Mercedes for a Land Rover? I would. I would perfectly you do would. that. Like yeah. a, a nice long 110 Land Rover, the Defender. With a nice roof tent, I would definitely give up my Mercedes for that. Africa. Any plans to go to Africa? Mm, not so much. Too many diseases okay. uh, and, and civil wars and, and riots and all sorts of things going on there that is not so attractive to me. I would prefer okay. New Zealand and South America. Yeah. Well, in South America, personal security is also an, an issue, of, obviously. Yes. Yes. Uh, but since I'm fluent in Spanish, it's a lot easier for me to understand when I'm in trouble yeah. <laughs> than in, in somewhere in Africa. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, plans for your little Lapay Tutut then? What, what's, where, where are you going on? Uh, um, is it, it's Matilda, isn't it? Uh, Anita. Anita. Anita, sorry. So where's, uh, where's Anita going next? 
Anita, um, she will first of all get a little bit of day spa time. So I will okay. uh, take care of a few smaller flaws she got. Uh, yeah. Maybe she got a bit of a motor treatment to make an, a complete overhaul. Mm. Uh, Anita has a sister here. I have two of those tuk-tuks. Oh, right. Okay. And I might, I might take a friend and we will maybe go to North Cape or to Iceland. Thank you very much for talking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, Likewise, likewise. It's been, a, it's been great meeting you. You're, you're, a pleasure. You're nuttier than me. It's fantastic. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Have a great evening. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye, 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 bye. Bye. Thank you to Marcus for his stories of discovery and adventure. He is an inspiration to us all. Let's hope this year's adventure, The Gentleman Jura for Kids with Cancer, can go ahead in April. It's 240 days around Europe on a 50cc Vespa, helping raise thousands of pounds for cancer charities. We will be following him all the way with regular weekly updates. Thank you for listening. All my shows are on iTunes, Spotify and adventuresinatuktuk.com. If you have a story of discovery and adventure, please get in touch and follow the tuktuk at outlook.com. This has been a CMP production. Until next time, goodbye.